What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to NBA Stories. I'm your host, Nick Nasby. And again, we're here. It's it, We're in season now. Basketball's in full swing. And so now we have a lot of stuff to talk about, so I'm excited to get into it. Now, joining me, of course, once again, is my co-host, Mr. Mike Candelora. Mike, how you doing? I am fantastic and already in midseason form, getting ready to talk about some NBA basketball, some just early reactions, and then a little bit of a historical piece towards the end of the episode. Stay tuned for it. The NBA is just like there's teams who are just blowing it again, which is just so, so, so fucking normal now. And then other teams that are that are actually performing pretty well. So I wanted to go into that. And also here to help us, Mike DeQuilla. Once again, you heard him a couple weeks ago. You're hearing him again this week. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. Um, like you said, touched on it. Uh, Christmas Day was fucking awesome. I I miss watching hoops so much and just having that lineup. None of the games were really that close, but it didn't even matter. Just watching all of those stars play. Opening night was pretty sweet. Uh, it's good to see KD and Kyrie back in action. And I'm just excited for the season. I feel like the field is as open as it has ever been since that sort of super team era started. I feel like this is the most open the NBA has been. There's so much depth in both conferences, which we had not seen in I don't even know how long. So I'm just excited to see. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that surprise people this year, and we're going to get into that conversation soon. I'm looking forward to it. See, we and we, you know, we said that last year though, also, and it just turned out that the team that we thought just like won the finals, you know, like everybody said Lakers probably, and then like the Lakers won. So I, hopefully it's more wide open this year. Hopefully there's actual upsets in in the playoffs. We saw a couple last year, but it wasn't anything that nobody could have called, you know. Um, so I want to touch on the first week in the NBA because I think it's clear probably to everybody after their, their most recent game, um, that clearly, clearly the, uh, the Knicks are now the finals faves. They actually, they beat the Bucks by 20. Um, and you know, they were able to, to, to smite the great Giannis Antetokounmpo. So clearly they are the beasts in the East. I don't see anybody really stopping them. I think the bear Burke Randall is the next big three in the NBA and, uh, coach Tibbs is going to win coach of the year. So it's going to be really fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to them hosting the, uh, the Larry O'Brien. And I don't know if you guys agree. I'm sure you agree, but I don't know if you guys are like on board with this or if you're, if you're just general haters at this point, it doesn't make sense not to agree. So I don't know. Well, let's pump the brakes here. Just a tad. I mean, at the end of the day, this team's a microgasm of a one and two disaster waiting to happen. And they are the New York Knicks. They're going to inevitably lose. And guess what? That was the first bright spot for the New York Knicks in prize since Linsanity of being the Bucks and Alfred Payton having the game of his life. So congratulations to you, Nick. I'm glad you got your fun now. I'm glad <laughs> we'll it came the early in the playoffs. season and you had something we'll to talk about. We'll see you in the about. playoffs. We'll see you in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll, City, see, I'll, fo, see, fo, fo. I'll see I'll see. All right. I'll see him in my intramural <laughs> playoffs. I won't see him in the NBA playoffs. I'll see I'll, I'll see I'll see Alec Burks dribbling up hitting a three in my face during a intramural championship. I'll tell you that much. The the, the NBA should do what what the Premier League does and like relegate the worst teams in the league to like the second league. Yes. And like by this point the Knicks will be playing against Div- division 3 teams in the in the northeast and probably, and still, probably like still competing and they'll still lose. <laughs> and losing like three or four games in a season. <laughs> 
it's it's oh man, it's bad. I don't even want to touch on it. I I will go into the Bucks, but I want to do that a little bit later on. The first thing that I wanted to do is a segment that I thought of today is call or fold, right? Are we calling or are we folding poker reference, but it's way too early to actually know about these teams. So, but we're still going to do it because I wanted to see what your guys' takes are. First up, we have these unlikely 3-0 and teams. You know, there's some teams that we honestly didn't even, we wrote them off as nothing. And now they're 3-0. and Good starts. So are we sold on them yet? First up is the Cavs. The Cleveland Cavaliers right now are 3-0. and They have beaten Charlotte, Detroit, and Philadelphia. So they have one good actual quality win out of those, out of those three wins. Colin Sexton, just like we were talking about in this breakout episode, Mike, he's averaging 27 points a game, and he seems like he would be super, super inefficient as a scorer, right? He's averaging 59% field goal and 67% from the three, hitting two a game. He's balling. He's balling out, you know? And uh, now they have Drummond at his 20 and 15 pace, like we know he's capable of every single every single season. He's capable of doing that. C.D. Osman's at 16 a game, shooting 53% from three, hitting almost four game. Are these are the Cavs good this year? Are you guys sold on this? Are you calling or folding that? So I'd like to remind you guys real quick of um, a season in NBA history. I believe it was 2014 when my uh, – Philadelphia 76ers started off 3-0, and led by rookie of the year Michael Carter-Williams, the beast that he is. And everyone start was like starting to think, oh my God, like this Sam Hinkie guy, what is he thinking? Like Maybe they're not tanking. Maybe this team's a playoff team. Maybe they're a surprise. And then, sure enough, they finished second to last in the Eastern Conference, going 19-63. and so is that the Cleveland Cavaliers? I don't necessarily know if that's the case. I think they have a little bit more talent there than that Sixers team did. But do not kid yourself into thinking that this is going to be some sort of a playoff team. I do think, though, they have more veteran presence than we realized really going into the year. But you're talking about a team that's just going to play these guys into trade pieces later on. Kevin Love and Andre Drummond are probably both on their way out some point this year. But what you do look at at this team as promising is exactly what you touched on. Colin Sexton looks like he is going to be a player in this league. He looks phenomenal early on, and people discounted him because of how stacked that draft class was. Same with Darius Garland, though. That backcourt is underrated and underappreciated. Garland got a lot of shit last year. And it looks like maybe he's turning a corner and people have kind of forgotten about him and taken pressure off of his name. And also, I know you guys were big on Isaac Okoro. He hasn't really done too much offensively in the first three games, but he's somebody that's just going to continue to develop on this team along with the veteran presence. What I would do if I were them is wait till the deadline, let these guys kind of help the younger players learn under their wing and then move them for more pieces once we get to that trade deadline. Uh, Real quick edit. I hate the Okoro pick. I thought it was atrocious. I think it's just a gridlock at that position. But, I, I mean, he's not really doing too much. We'll see what happens. Mike, you calling or folding on the Cavs this year? I'm going to fold on the Cavs. I just think, again, it's the first three games of NBA season. The season's young. This team's extremely young as well. They do have some veteran pieces, but I think they get inevitably moved to the trade deadline. And I think the future's bright in Cleveland. And I think this is going to be a good season for them in terms of seeing the continued development of Sexton and Garland and Sexland. Just that, you know... 
good duo in the backcourt, and I think that they're going to have a lot to look forward to. Just for this year, though, I don't see them making the playoffs. I mean, I think they're going to go, they'll win like 25 to 30 games, and they'll they'll miss the playoffs. They'll be like the 13th seed in the East and be picking the lottery again. I don't like Okoro as well. I never talked up Isaiah Okoro, by the way, as well. Too just to on the record, on the record, guy, guy, guy yeah, is we, not. We, I'm not a fan of. We we don't want anybody really? thinking we. Maybe like I'm Okoro. confusing something. No, no. We, I thought he was. I thought just, you guys liked. He him. looked like a football player playing basketball. That's like how I always saw him. He's like that. You know that kid who always, who like played football and you like play basketball with him in gym class, and he just seemed like he was just a kind of a bully. He was strong and stuff, but he didn't necessarily know what he was doing. Like Okoro is obviously better than that, but that's how I see him, and I just don't know what he's gonna how he's gonna fit there. I'm also folding on this Cavs team, but it's not by much. I honestly think the way what I've seen from them, because I've I watched a couple of their highlights. Obviously, I'm not going to like sit and watch an entire Cavs game, but they have their guy in Colin Sexton. I mean, you, it's hard to build around a small guy. He is only six one. Like it's hard to build around a small guy, but it's easier to build around a small guy when he's going to average 27 a game and shoot 59 percent from the field. That's obviously going to come back down to earth. But if he can keep it over 50% from the field for the season and and shoot over 40%, if he's closing in on 50-40-90 numbers, his uh, free throw percentages are atrocious. I didn't even talk about those. So he won't be 50-40-90. But that's a guy you can build around. I think that they're not going to be the basement. I think that overpick is probably really, really looking good right now. It's probably moved a whole lot up, though, so it's probably not going to be as good as it was before. So Cavs are folding on. Okay, next up we have... The Atlanta Hawks, 3-0. Trey Young's 34-7, shooting 53% from the field, a little bit under 40% from three. They have eight guys averaging in double figures. Uh, Gallo and Rondo actually just played last game, so besides them, they have six guys averaging in double figures, and their wins right now are over. They're not really quality. They're Chicago, Memphis, and Detroit. Now, Atlanta... As a 3-0 and team right now, given the way that they're playing, 25th or 26th in defensive efficiency, just like you mentioned, Mike, uh, are you are you calling or, or folding on this Hawks team to be at like a 5 or 6 seed in the East? I'll call on that. I think that it's tough to say. I guess I might have to fold, actually, because I think that like, I'm going to go back to my point. I Earlier in the year, I think they're going to struggle defensively, and I think that Either they're going to just, just miss the playoffs in the East, or they're going to end up being a 7 or 8 seed. So if I had to say like 6 seed or better, I'm going to fold on that. But I do have a little bit more of aspirations from what I've seen and how their younger players, especially at the wing positions, have taken that next step. DeAndre Hunter and Cam Rash have played extremely good basketball to start this year. And I think they can make the dance as a seven or eight seed, but I don't see them as highly touted as other people are as a sleeper team in the East, et cetera, like that. No, Mike, I do want to amend something because as you were talking, I was looking this up. I am incorrect. The Atlanta Hawks through their first three games are 14th in opponent points per game and they're 16th in defensive rating. So they're not the worst and not the best. They're very average. If they are able to be an average defensive team, if that could if that could maintain not the best not the worst in the middle is that something that you would be able to to buy into yeah i 100% would but again we talked about their first three games are against three arguably some of the worst offensive teams in the nba Fair. i mean the Fair. memphis was only had jaw then detroit and they, chicago they ja? are... i thought he was hurt i thought he got hurt that game no he got hurt he got hurt last game 
against the Nets. But in that game, the job played the full game. But other than that, I mean, they've only played one bona fide good player. I mean, Chicago and Detroit, I mean, they're two of the worst offensive teams in the NBA as of right now. I, I just personally... I think it's fool's goal that their defense is like top fifteen. I think they're going to be again in the bomb half of the league, and if that's the case, it's going to be really tough to vibe for a good playoff spot. But I think they can make the back end of the rotation, if not just miss out. Yeah. So um, first, just to break some news here, you guys were talking about the John ja Morant injury. Literally breaking news: he's out three to five weeks. So the MRI revealed grade two ankle sprain. At least it's nothing worse. Definitely, like, best wishes to John Morant because the NBA fucking needs him on the floor. Guys, ridiculous. That is true. Um, that's good. That's, hey, that's good for my Memphis Grizzlies under. No offense. That, hate to say <laughs> hate to say, hate to say that, but, <laughs> like, I don't know. For all of our degenerate gamblers out there, if you locked in, you're in a good place. Um, But real quick, to touch on your points about uh the Hawks' defense, I do think we have to keep in mind Clint Capella – has only played one game so far, so maybe he can make some sort of a difference down low. The guy is usually a blocks machine and good on the defensive glass. But I completely agree with everything you guys are saying. What this team needs more than anything is DeAndre Hunter to step up and be that next-level perimeter defender. Because we saw it at times in college, I believe, if I'm... You guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but was it that... Was that not his best trait coming out of the draft? Is people saw him as an elite defender? I mean, it was every. It's everybody out of Virginia. You know, their average. If your if your team gives up forty eight points a game, like you're all your guys. Oh, hundred percent. And the fact new. was, he was seen as a great three and D guy, a guy that was an athletic wing player that could play that very good defense and was the anchor defensively for that national championship Virginia team. Absolutely. I just think that this team too is. I, I think they are going to be a playoff team. I complete. There's no way they're going to finish in the top six uh, seeds, especially not with a team that we're going to talk about soon, who's also three and zero. The Indiana Pacers, a team like that, is definitely more developed and more experienced than them. But this team can, it can fucking score, and they can score with anyone. I just think there's too much talent here to not push them over the edge into a playoff spot but are they going to make noise in the playoffs hell no they don't have the defense to really do that and it's interesting because the teams that we're talking about here all in the eastern conference the next two teams are all going to be vying for those seven eight spots and i think the two teams ahead of the hawks are a lot more experienced and that's the pacers and even the magic are a little bit more experienced than the hawks at this point yeah and that goes into my next point i i agree i think the hawks they're they're going to come back down to earth once they get some actual uh talent that they're coming up against especially the fact that you have to hide trey young on defense almost every single game he's just too small he's not he's not quick enough laterally he'll get a steal or two but it's really all he's good for uh, I actually skipped the Pacers in my notes just because I wasn't. I, I was going for like unlikely three and O teams, but I'm not, I'm not surprised at all that they're three and O based on their roster. But we can talk about them really quick. The Pacers are three and O. They have wins over. Let's see. They have wins over the Knicks. Easy. They have win over the Bulls, and their win is over Boston by one point. So they have Sabonis playing great. I do believe that Oladipo's healthy and playing, right? Yeah, he's averaging 22 mm-hmm. a game. Malcolm Brogdon's averaging over 20 points a game. And so, and TJ Warren's at 15. So, obviously, there's some staying power with what he was able to do. They have five guys 
in double figures, including Miles Turner at 9.7, so that's probably going to be in double figures. One of those guys is Doug McDermott, who's playing very good uh, basketball, but he's not actually shooting all that well. He's only shooting about 29% from the three. I still think the top of the East is really stacked. Are you guys calling or folding the Pacers being able to get one of those top five seats? So I'll go here. I'm going to call that they will because, as I said in the pre- in the season before, at, like in the preseason, I love what they did, and I love that they kept everyone and the continuity they have. I'm a big buyer on the Pacers right now. I think they're going to end up as a four or five seed in the East, and I think they're going to be a team that is going to be a dangerous out in the playoffs. Man, I. I don't want to go back on my word because I, I took their under to start the year and it, it was so much of it to me was how loaded that Eastern Conference was. I saw the Sixers taking a step forward with new coaching and new sh- uh, shooters on the roster. I saw the Nets obviously taking a step forward. So I didn't see a way how this team could possibly really finish in that top five spot. But the more I look at it, it's like this roster is talented as shit. And I, I think... You're set. You're setting yourself up. What what exactly is their division looking like? Because I know that the scheduling is a little bit different this year, but that might play a little bit more favorably for them. You're playing Central in the Eastern is, Conference. Their division is, 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 is pretty is weak. Cleveland. They got Milwaukee, who is. We'll go into them in a little bit. They got the Bulls and the Pistons, who are just going to be in the basement. Yeah. So I mean, they have they have an opportunity to get a lot of wins, intra division wins. I think that exactly. it's going to really come up. To, it's going to be like, can Oladipo stay healthy? He was. I mean, he, it's not like he's he's injury prone. It's just like when you get hurt once, it's always something that's in the back of your head. You know, if you get hurt once, it's always just something that you think about. Okay, is this going to continue to happen? But as of right now, when we're talking about points per game, 118 a game. That's seventh in the entire league. Their opponent points per game, 106.7. So close games, but that's also seventh in the league when it comes to defense. So they're they're not scoring. I mean, they're scoring very well, and they're not giving up a whole lot of points as opposed to what they're you know what we would think. Their defensive rating is is fifth. So it's it's pretty clear that the Pacers have it down. You know they have they have what they're doing down. They have their system down. They know what they're going to try to do. And they have each piece set, which is one of the most important things, which is also, by the way, why I don't think they made a bigger play for Gordon Hayward. I do believe that they saw this coming. They know that this is going to be kind of their season to surprise people and then insert themselves into the category of Eastern Conference contenders. What do you think about that, Mark? Yeah, but I think it's a valid point. But if you're looking for the most positive sign you've seen out of this team so far, it's clearly the fact that... It's, I didn't think it was necessarily possible, but Sabonis has taken a step forward from what we already felt like he exceeded expectations last year, correct? And it's it's taking pressure off of Oladipo. You talked about his injury history. When you look at a guy like Sabonis that's now taking that star role on this team that a lot of people thought either Oladipo or Miles Turner would eventually take, that takes so much pressure off the role players. Malcolm Brogdon now fits perfectly into this. TJ Warren, we saw what he did in the bubble. I think Sabonis is that key here because he's looking like a perennial all-star and nobody could have expected that four years ago. He's looking like his dad. That's <laughs> the truth. He is. He is. Like, think about it. Right now he's averaging about 24 a game, 11 boards, and and let me see. Is that per 36? I don't think so. Yeah, that's actually his numbers. 24, 11 boards, 7 assists a game. Playing 37 minutes a game, 
shooting 57% from, from the field, shooting 44% from three. He is a little bit low on the free throw line, 58% from there, but he is a big man, so that's to be expected. But, I mean, those are damn near triple-double numbers. Uh, he He's now a threat to get a triple-double on a daily basis. I wasn't expecting this out of the kid coming out of Gonzaga. I really wasn't, no, but not and, and me, he's doing, me, he's doing nah, me neither. And the crazy, he's looking like a young, like not young, but like a baby Nicole Jokic who we'll touch upon in a little bit. But, I mean, oh, my gosh. It, the crazy part about Sabonis is that he's turning into their closer. I mean, down the stretch of that Celtics game last night, I mean, he was the guy they leaned on the whole time. He scored the go-ahead bucket late for them to ultimately win. But, like, Sabonis can score in a variety of different ways. He sets up his scoring teammates extremely well. And just Indiana has a lot of depth, and I love their brain trust personally and i think this team's gonna surprise some people i think they're gonna be a tough out in the playoffs i don't know if they'll win a whole playoff series but i think as a regular season team they're gonna be a very solid regular season team yeah, they've always find found their way to to contention even when they don't have the best roster so it's, it's it is very it's very indicative of their of their front office it's pretty impressive so so we have Indiana. Uh, you guys are both calling on the Indiana. So we're gonna we're gonna flip the script here and talk about some sub five hundred teams that we're gonna be either calling or folding on the concerns with those teams. I know it's early again, so it's a little bit too early to really genuinely know. But from what we've seen so far, the first one I want to talk about is the Toronto Raptors, who are right now sitting at zero and two, zero wins so far. Pascal Siakam, he's shooting 42% from the field. He's got four and a half turnovers a game. He is uh, averaging 18 a game. They have lost to the Pelicans and the Spurs. So honestly, like two relatively bad losses. I think the Pelicans are good, but I don't think that they should be beating the Raptors. I don't think that's a good loss at all. And then the San Antonio Spurs have been depleted. That's not a good loss either. So 0-2 Raptors. Kyle Lowry is still averaging about 10 and a half assists a game. He's doing all right. Uh, OG Ananube is underperforming. Pascal Siakam's underperforming. Are you calling or folding concern on the Raptors right now, Mike? Uh, personally, I have a lot of concern for the Raptors because, again, I just think that eventually the water's going to find level with these guys. And I just, I'm not impressed with their roster. They lost some guys. The guys they added in place aren't spectacular. And, I mean, I like Fred Van Vliet, and I like Glowry and Siakam, but they're all just solid guys. Like They don't really move the needle for you. I think that this team will right the ship and make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be just a simple first-round exit. They're going to lose in five to six games, and it's not going to be very ultra-competitive, and they're probably going to have the award for being one of the most boring playoff series to watch because it's just turning into the Raptors of old that we are so accustomed to seeing as a team, regardless of what seed they were, we're going to be a first round or second round exit at best. And I think that's the road they're going down, especially since they have key positions that these guys are older. I mean, Kyle Lowry's getting up there. Fred Van Vliet, like, he seems young, but he's surprisingly like older than you would expect. Siakam's a young piece. And OG is a young piece, but I just don't think they have the staining power to be a perennial contender. And they don't have a lot of flexibility on the roster. So just looking long term, I think the Raptors have a lot to be concerned about. And the thing is with them, too, is can they shoot the ball extremely well? Because a lot of their main playmakers are inconsistent shooters. So we'll see how that works itself out. 
Yeah, I mean, their transition from the post-Kawhi Leonard era was flawed. And a lot of us were fooled last year by the way they looked. Like, if you guys remember those 10 play-in games before in the bubble, the Raptors looked fucking great. And everyone was buying in, like, this is a title contender. They look so damn good. I remember, I think they beat the Lakers in the first game back in the bubble. And they. I was like, oh my god, this team is really opening my eyes. But... At this point, I'm looking at the roster exactly like Mike is, and it's it's very flawed in the way it's built and inconsistent shooting they lack in. And I felt like from that championship roster, they see they acted like they could seamlessly transition from having Kawhi Leonard and turn immediately turning Pascal Siakam into that player with the help of maybe Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry taking some of the pressure away. It's not going to work like that. Pascal Siakam is a phenomenal player. But to try and fit him into that same championship role that Kawhi Leonard held for that team is ridiculous. And I don't think you can count on him to be your number one scorer at every option of every game. It's just not going to work that way. This team is missing way too much that they had on that championship team. And it's beyond just Kawhi Leonard. And I think also when you're talking about OG, that's somebody that just got fucking paid. And, you know, it's three games into the season, so I don't want to overreact too much when it comes to him. But he's a guy that really needs to continue to contribute off the bench for them. He was a huge player at times last season, filling that void of Kawhi Leonard. And I just think both on the offensive and defensive side, he needs to step up his game if this team is going to push forward and be hopefully in that top five seeds for them. But, I mean, it's hard to argue right now that Indiana is not better positioned moving forward than Toronto and that's something I could not have envisioned saying last season they went all in on on Pascal he's he's a, he's Scotty Pippen like he's a he's a poor man Scotty Pippen I don't think he's he's never going to be a number one guy it, it, we saw when mm-hmm. Scotty was the number one guy in Chicago like they did okay but they weren't they weren't able to get to the championship it's the same thing with Pascal like he's never going to be he's really good as a complimentary player but if you have him as a focus point it's like having like a, a it's like having a number two wide receiver as your focus wide receiver. If they have the best cornerback on them, they're not going to perform as well. They need they need to have the second guy on them because they need they you know they're not going to be able to do it. And that's where they get all of their production. That's how Pascal worked. You know, we are we're all looking at Kawhi, and all of a sudden this kid's coming over with 18 points a game. Who the fuck is this? And now they're trying to build around him. So I don't I don't see it. I don't think Nick Nurse is in any trouble of losing his job or anything. He's he's definitely secure in in, in Toronto probably forever mm-hmm. until he's until he's done. Um, but they're they're gonna have to figure out something this season because uh, I think that they're going to see the flaws in their game, and it's going to eventually come to reality that they might have reverted back to the DeMar DeRozan days. Hopefully not, but we'll see. Back to 3 and O's because there's one that I really wanted to talk about. Are you sold, call or fold, the Orlando Magic, or 3-0, and they have, by, by the way, my guy, the one who I've been talking about so much, Markel Fultz, averaging 21-4, and four, shooting 49% from the field. All five of their starters are in double figures. Terrence Ross is averaging over 20 points a game. Uh, Aaron Gordon's contributing relatively well. We know what Vooch does, and he's doing it again. And they have wins right now, probably the most uh, impressive wins that we're seeing right now. Washington twice in Miami. Out of the three and O's, I think that they probably have the best the best like wins. It's not necessarily great wins, but it's better than the others. So I'll go with Mark first here. 
are you sold on the three and zero Magic? Do you think they're going to maintain this level? We know that they're probably a playoff team, but are they going to be able to get past like an eight or a seven seed and maybe go into the five six range potentially? I'm definitely selling there, and this is a weird team for me because, and I try to just like send out there and make my playoff predictions every year what I think is going to happen, and probably in the past three years where the Magic have been in the playoffs almost every single year as like the eight seed or so i've had them there i've always liked the town on this team and i'm huge on vucevic but this is the first season in a while where i actually didn't have them in the playoffs because i thought the eastern conference improved so much with teams like the hawks and i just didn't i didn't see this roster coming together quite the same now I'm looking at it three games in. Has my mind really been changed? Not enough to move them in the top six by any means, but it's hard not to look at Mark L. Fultz and him averaging 20-some points a game and be like, if you have a, a guy scoring like that at that clip with that talent to pair with a Vucevic and Aaron Gordon who have been doing what they've been doing for years, it's hard to argue that they're not better than an Atlanta Hawks team. But I still think it's so early. You're talking about... As far as the Hawks go, if you're comparing those two teams straight up, the Hawks are so many new guys coming together and acquisitions from the offseason. It's going to take a little bit of time. This Magic team is kind of the same for the most part that it has been for years now with then the additions of Fultz was added a season ago, so he's kind of getting comfortable there. And then what? Cole Anthony is really the only other guy that they've exactly added. So this has been a staple core group. Almost reminds you of the Pacers, in a way. They've learned how to play together over the past couple of seasons, and I think that plays to their advantage in putting them ahead of a team like the Hawks. But I think as the season goes on, I definitely see the Hawks leapfrogging them. By the way, Cole Anthony averaging 9-5 and five in his first three games. Uh, Mike, what's your opinion on the uh, the 3-0 and magic right now? Are you, are you uh, calling or folding them as a legitimate Eastern Conference team? Going into this year, I obviously thought that I didn't think the Magic were going to make the playoffs. If they did, I thought they were going to be extremely low seed, like you just get in by the skin of your teeth as an 8 seed. I'm going to still stick with my guns, and I'm going to fold on the Magic because even though they have some nice pieces, I want to be have a longer sample size until I admit I'm wrong. And I know that sounds selfish, but <laughs> that's just how I, that's just how I am. And I think that again with them, it comes down to how well they could shoot from the outside. But they have some legitimate scores. Fournier is a good scorer. They got Gordon. We got Vucevic. And Markel Fultz is making some good strides. It's crazy. I didn't, I didn't think Markel Fultz was going to start looking this this well, averaging 20 a game in his first three games. And it, it's a in small sample size, minutes, but he looks good. He's doing it in, What's up? in 29, minute, 29 minutes a game he's doing that in. That's what so I'm he's saying. He's not playing like, that much. He's looking, he's looking solid. And kudos to him and kudos to the Magic. We'll see what they could do if they see to keep this up. But I just think that they're going to be differentiated to being a solid playoff team to a fringe playoff team, to a team that's going to miss the playoffs by their outside shooting because they honestly lack a true number of three-point shooters on their team. Well, just, just, just to kind of counteract that a little bit, Terrence Ross right now shooting of over 50% from threes, hitting three for six a game. Uh, Evan Fournier's two for five a game, 40%. 
And uh, I don't know how consistent it's going to be, but you know, we'll we'll see where that comes from. And then two for five for Vooch actually. So they're 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 spreading it out better than they used to. Obviously, you know, Aaron Gordon's still going to be atrocious, but you know, they're the guys that they they seem to be relying on more for for volume and production. Terrence Ross, uh, Vooch, like they're able to actually step out and and shoot. And I think that bodes even better for Markel Fultz, who needs space to, to to operate. Like, he needs space because he's not shooting, so he needs to be able to get to the basket, and that's really what's helping him to get his mid-rangers, to get his floaters up, his, his, his you know, drives to the basket, his layups, all that stuff. So I am calling the, the Magic. I think that their division is going to give them a lot of wins. Their only real competition in the division, I would say, is – well, they got Atlanta and they have Miami, and the other two are just kind of there. So they'll get a bunch of wins from them, and we'll see what they're able to do with the rest of their schedule. The other, we have two more of these, right? And they're both they're both bad teams. First one's an 0-3 team, and I know we weren't going to talk about hot seat coaches, Mike, but I think that if there was ever going to be a hot seat coach at this early in the season, this would be the coach. The Washington Wizards are 0-3 right now. What's happening in Washington, we have Beal averaging 33 a game, which is phenomenal. We have Russ averaging a triple-double again, which honestly to me means it's like a bad thing at this point. It always feels like the teams that are he, that are the worst that he's on is when he's, he's putting up the most triple-double numbers. Four guys in double figures. Bertans, who just signed, who just signed his... Uh, his contract, he's about 35% from three, so it's a little bit under what we want him at. And they lost to Philly, and they lost to Orlando twice. Caller folds, is Washington worse than we thought, Mike? I think like, for me personally, I don't think they're worse than I thought because I didn't think they are going to be a team that makes the playoffs. I mean, when <laughs> we laid it out as a team that was going to be in the top eight seeds when we laid out our Eastern-Western like preview, I didn't have them making the playoffs, and this is why. I just think that they're just a flawed individual team. I think they're better than this, though. Like, I think they're going to be better than, like, one of the basement teams. I think they're going to be the actual 9 or 10 seed in the East. And I think that when they get Hachimura back, that's going to make them a lot better. And I think they just need time to get used to Russ and adapt. I mean, we remember when... OKC had that whole makeover when KD left, Abaka, like when those core pieces left, and then they brought in Oladipo. They brought in a couple of these guys from the draft and free agency. They took a couple like weeks, like couple games to get to know each other. But by like game forty, they end up going into a groove, winning forty seven games, eventually getting bounced in the first round. But I just think it takes time to get acclimated to Russ. I think the Wizards fans should be happy that Bradley Beal is having a career is on track to have a career season, and I think that the Wizards again, I, either they need to bottom out or they need to make the playoffs. So we'll see what they do, but it's just it's exactly what I expected. For me, this team, I watched the entire Sixers game, so that was the first game of the year. I had a couple takeaways because this was I, I. They sold me on the fact that as much as I hate Russell Westbrook, it was too much talent with him and Beal to not fall into that eight seed and finish ahead of the Magic and the likes of those teams. So I had them as my eight seed, but the more I watched that game, the flaws of this team lie outside of the two of those players and it's somebody in Thomas Bryant for example I just I think those Wizards teams that were so good 
well, not so good, but they were playoff teams in the Eastern Conference all those years with John Wall filling the same role as Westbrook is now and Bradley Beal. They had Gortat down low who played a key role. They had Otto Porter Jr. when he was a solid player. Thomas Bryant as a center was is not the answer right now in my opinion. He just hasn't looked that good. He doesn't get many boards whatsoever. If you look at the statistics on this team, outside of Russell Westbrook, where are the rebounds? They have no rebounders on this team whatsoever. Thomas Bryan is undersized for a center. And the other thing I was looking at is one of my favorite players from this past draft and who I think still going to be the, one of the steals is Denny Avdija. Watching him in that first game against the Sixers, it's his stroke is beautiful from outside. It's unbelievable. So I think as far as he goes, him and Bertans, they, Avdija just needs to start shooting a lot more for this team. He really does because I, the more he shoots, the more confidence he's going to get. And I truly think he's going to be one of the best perimeter shooters in this league at one point. I also like Isaac Bonga. I think he's a player that's going to turn into somebody this year. But uh, as far as the Wizards go, starting 0-3, it's a record that's going to improve, but if we're not going to be talking about this team for very long this season, at most, an eight seed is probably their most likely and best case scenario. I think it's Abdia, by the way. I think the J's silent, but I don't even know. Whatever. He does look good. He looks good. He's not getting a whole lot of... He's, he's getting 26 minutes a game. He's only getting five shots up a game, but he's making the most of them. He's, he's shooting over 50%, averaging 70 games, so good for him. So far, let's see if he can keep that going, maybe get his production up a little bit more. Last one, because this is the, the the big one. This is the one that we have to really talk about. The Milwaukee Bucks are one and two. Okay, I know one of those losses is on a really clutch three from Jason Tatum. So that was that was one of their losses. So they could have been two and one right now. Last loss is the one we were talking about. I know I'm joking about the Knicks being a Finals caliber team, but that loss was actually relatively concerning for I think anybody looking at this. Are the Milwaukee Bucks worse than we thought? I, I I'm still confident in the Bucks. Not that I think they're going to get to the finals or anything, and that's where they kind of are at now with Giannis at the helm. They're a finals robust team. But I just think that they're exactly what I think they are. I think they're going to be a good regular season team. They'll figure they'll go on a nice winning streak sooner rather than later. But at the end of the day, in the, when it comes playoff time, they're going to go probably lose in the second round to a Nets, potentially Philadelphia or Miami Heat squad. And I think they get bounced there or bounced in the Eastern Conference Finals. I just don't see this team going all the way. And I think what we've seen that's evidently clear through the first three games is that even with Middleton putting up good numbers and with Giannis putting up solid numbers, I just don't think they have enough to get over the hump. I think they need another true superstar that bridged the gap between Middleton and Giannis, and they can't find that. And I think Holiday was a nice addition. But I think what, what Holiday did, though, was that it kind of hurt their depth. So we'll see how that plays out in the long run. But as of right now, I like it. I, I go back and forth on Drew Holiday because I was sold for a little bit that this guy was going to take that next level. And I think he truly can be a three on a team. The problem is not this team. It doesn't quite fit for me. I don't think... I think him and Middleton, in a way, you got too many ball handlers out of this group with all three of them. Drew Holiday really needs the ball in his hands to be the most effective player that he can be, and you're seeing that early on. Giannis needs to have the ball in his hand, 
And as far as the shooting goes, if you wanted to turn Drew Holiday into that third scoring option, it's too similar to what you already have in Chris Middleton. They needed somebody down low. Well, the other also, issue I the have other, is I don't – One quick thing, too. I mean, they're a five-out style team. He's shooting 11% from three, you know, through the first three. So yeah. that's that's atrocious. I mean, I think that's going to improve. I, I don't see that really keeping up. But the other one for me is I don't – how do we feel on DiVincenzo? Because I don't think – I think he's – trying to play a role right now with this team like he has been that I, he's a good player but I don't necessarily see him as a piece that's going to be on a finals winning team in your starting lineup I think I'm going to disagree with you on that because right now he's averaging about 13 a game and it's not the points for me it's more of the efficiency like this is what I've been looking at with a lot of these teams I really do think that efficiency just will counteract like kind of what's going on with the with the player and the team He's shooting 62% from three, shooting 58% from field for the first two games, three games. I mean, if he's able to just generally play a wing position, which is why I thought it was good to pick up Drew, because DiVincenzo played point guard last year, which was not a good idea, in my opinion. I don't think he's got that kind of handle. But if he's able to run off ball stuff in a five-out set, I think he's fine. I think that's a good, it's a good position to have him in, the best one that you can have him in. You know, if this is a finals team, I think that his role as like a 13, 14 point per game guy is, uh, is consistent. If it can stay consistent, I think it can actually be pretty viable. If he could score like that, he could be a very viable role. I just think that they're missing some veteran presence from what they had. I think George Hill is actually a surprising big miss from their team. And again, I just like, I like the addition of Bobby Portis as well, but outside of like Giannis and Portis, like I just don't, think that Brooke Lopez could be a starting center on a championship team I really don't and I don't think he could be that big man down the stretch that he has to play meaningful minutes like yeah the Lakers like I know the Lakers last year truly didn't have a, a actual center but I mean for instance like AD played the five towards the end of stretch games and if the if the Bucks want to become a championship team they need guys that can do a lot of different things for them down the stretch of games, not just have two shooters and three inside scores. I mean, Brooke Lopez is a good shooter, yeah, but defensively, he he gets like he could get manhandled at times. I mean, James Wiseman on Christmas Day was giving him is the business. He's gonna face big, better big men down the stretch. I mean, for Christ's sake, he might have to go up against Kevin Durant in the second round of playoffs when the Nets go small, and that'll be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, so I mean. They do play five out, but the they're, the teams they play don't play five out. So it's going to be a defensive issue, I think, in my opinion. And uh, and Giannis, while he can play five on, on you know defense on on a five, I don't think they want him to. I don't think that's what what they have him on the feet on the court for. So you know we'll see what happens with that. I I don't like the Bucks. I've never really liked the Bucks. I think that they're a really good regular season team. I think they always have been. Um, but, you know, come playoff time, we'll see what happens. Now, the Atlantic division is stacked. You know, we, of course, have the future NBA champs and the New York Knicks. But we also have teams like the Celtics. We have the the Raptors. We have the Nets. And we have the uh, Philadelphia 76ers in a huge upset, in my opinion, beat the Knicks uh, a few nights ago. So uh, you guys are both Philly guys. I watched that game. Joel Embiid was just – I mean, Mitchell Robinson is not necessarily the – like a great example of this, 
But Joel Embiid was just beating the shit out of him. And then Dwight Howard comes off the bench and he beat the shit out of him. And then they bring off another guy into the in, under the court. They have like Randall playing low and he beats the shit out of him too, or Nerlens Noel. And they both beat the shit out of those guys. You know, those are defensive minded guys. They're toying with them. And I, again, I know it's not a good example because it's the Knicks, but those two combined with a Ben Simmons, combined with Danny Green, combined with all of these guys, you know, who are playing the roles. What do you think about the Sixers? What do you think about their chances? Where do you see them at the end of the season? And uh, is Glenn Rivers the answer in Philly? It's tough to overvalue three games against, on. let's be honest, like three pretty shitty teams. The Cavaliers' loss was tough. And I, I think, like, so far we've already seen some losses that just don't make any sense. I mean, the Nets lost to Charlotte the other night. We saw the Bucks lose to the Knicks. Like, shit happens. It's, it's early season NBA basketball. But... I was a little bit surprised at how badly they performed without Embiid because in the first two games, one of the biggest positives I saw was how well Dwight Howard played in that role backing up Joel Embiid, which is something we've talked about in Philly for three years now, which is that in the playoffs, when we lost to the Celtics and we lost to the Raptors, a huge reason for that was because when Joel Embiid was off the court, we had no one there. Who were we talking about? We were talking about um, Amir Johnson as our backup center and Rashawn Holmes and all these guys that just couldn't fill the void whatsoever these past two seasons. Finally, and we got Dwight Howard in there. The past, the first two games of the season, he looked really, really strong in the second unit. So you hoped on the third game with Joel coming out and resting, you had a shot at winning that game against a really, you thought would be bad Cavs team with Dwight Howard playing that role, and it just was not the case. So that's where the concern was, but I'm hoping that Dwight Howard can continue to develop into that role because I have really liked what I've seen. For me, though, the reason I am so happy with what I've seen out of this team so far is because without Seth Curry, well, Seth Curry's looked pretty good, but without Danny Green really looking good at all in the first couple of games, and without... Tobias Harris really coming together, this team has still been able to prove that they can score at a better clip than they were last season. And that's because you finally have shooters on the outside, perimeter shooters who take pressure off of your key guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I think Danny Green's going to come together. Seth Curry already looks like the some sort of the answer we were looking for. And the biggest thing for me is I like that this team finally went back to where they were before the Jimmy Butler deal. That team that lost to the Celtics in a seven-game series the year before they went that went all in on Butler and Tobias Harris, that was one of my favorite Sixers teams. And it was because of guys like Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova. They added perimeter shooters who were low cost, and that's what this team's doing now. And my, la- my final point on the way this roster is constructed and what I've seen, Tyrese Maxey is going to be a problem in this league. He is only going to continue to develop. We never really touched on him too much in our draft coverage, but I know a lot of my Knicks friends at school were all in on him going to the draft and were sick to their stomachs when they let him fall to the Sixers. I'm ecstatic to have him on this team, and I think he he looks so goddamn good. Just like He hasn't even really been doing that much statistically, but the burst that he offers when he's on the court is exactly what we were looking for in young talent. I like 
your points, but this is my thing. I think what I've seen from the Sixers just evidence evidence a more trade in the future of trading Ben Simmons for James Harden because personally I think this team's solid I think this team's a good team but I don't see them getting over the hump I really don't and I think that the Sixers can be an NBA Finals contender if they were to acquire Harden for Ben Simmons and I know they could potentially wreck in our future but the problem with Ben Simmons I've seen is that yeah he's looked great the first three games but it's the same thing we saw his rookie season he hasn't done anything different like the only other like really main thing he's done is to become a very world-class defender since his rookie year but other than that he hasn't really made strides to becoming a more explosive player and again it's like year four Simmons and he looks exactly the same type of guy so personally I think that the first three games just shows that Harden for Simmons would be great for both the Rockets and 76ers I still agree with that. I still think that's going to be Harden for Simmons straight up. But Simmons is playing good so. defense. I mean, shit, he's he, the dude's averaging, let's see, 15, six, six assists, eight boards. He's got two, almost two and a half blocks a game and almost two steals a game. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. He hasn't shot a three yet. <laughs> I I don't necessarily – I'm not against the Harden move. I really am not. And a lot of people around me are like – even my uncle is a season ticket owner and he's like he's literally said to me on multiple occasions I'm never I'm selling my tickets if they trade Ben Simmons away under any circumstance but my issue is I the reason I can't yet see this trade is the way this team was built this offseason just screams they're trying to prove that they can win with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and move back to where they were like I said before the Jimmy Butler trade I don't understand if you then trade Simmons for Harden, where does that leave you with the pieces you added already in Seth Curry, Danny Green, and Tyrese Maxey? I just, I don't understand why you would have done that if you saw James Harden coming in the future. You know, do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, also you have to remember James Harden's a facilitator. The guy, you know, dropped 17 assists with 44 points in his first game. So That's what I'm saying, know, yeah. yeah. I agree with he's that. He's a point guard. He's a point guard. Like you, you, you run pick and pops with him and Joel. It's the same. It's the same, if not better, because he's so much of a better option from deep, off of those pick and pick and rolls. I mean, how much, how much do you lose having to rely on momentum and vertical and you know vertical speed and strength from your point guard? Essentially, you know, calling Ben Simmons the point guard, if you want him to produce on offense, you know, and having everybody else kind of standing around. I mean, the issue with. Harden is that just that though like people are just gonna be standing on offense they're gonna be watching him play I don't know how Joel's gonna like him I don't think he's going to like him to be completely frank but I think that they're going to play well together if that happens you know people love Ben Simmons but we've seen the ceiling for Ben Simmons we've seen it we all know what he can do okay and it's the same thing with Giannis we know what Giannis can do and it just feels like people are figuring it out it just feels like they're figuring it out. Like, it just seems like, okay, we know what he's going to give us. We know what he's not going to do. And so, like, let's force him to his weaknesses and let's, like, make sure he just has a bad game. I mean, it's, it's just – it's been like that for, for, like, a season with both of those guys. So, I think it's a good trade. I think it would work. I think that everybody would be happy. Um, and eventually your uncle would probably come to terms with it. 
to be you know, to be honest. <laughs> can we just touch? Can we touch real quickly on just really quick on one guy who just pisses me off on this team more than anybody else? Because I want to I want to know an outside perspective, especially from Nick. But Mike, I'm sure you can feel my pain on yeah. this. What the like? What the fuck is up with Tobias Harris? And can, can we ever find a role for him that makes sense? It Can he ever hit an open three? Because I've yet to see him hit a crunch time shot when we need it. Not even crunch time. Hit an open three when Ben Simmons sets him up perfectly. He never hits the shot. Ever. No, exa- I mean, it, that's exactly it. I just think that I think that he just needs a more wider space to be able to drive to net. Because I feel as if... With Harris, he just does he his decision making on shots is just so puzzling because he'll shoot the open shots and miss, but then like he'll shoot the contested shots and make them sometimes, and other times after that he'll miss two threes, he'll pump fake drive to the net, and since the net like the the paint area is so congested because we have Simmons and Beat who are two paint dominant players that he ends up drawing a charge and it happens more times than I can count over the first three games. And so look, I look just think would, to, look who would, I th- he would benefit the most from Harden then. He would benefit the most from Harden if you that's, that's what, what that, you're saying. That's what I'm exactly that's what that's why I think Harden I think Harden gives the Sixers the best chance to win an NBA finals. And I think Harden gives the best chance of helping these other shooters develop and become better uh versions of themselves. Because I think Simmons can do that, but I just think Simmons' scoring output's so limited that we saw in that game with Cleveland that, yeah, Embiid was out and we got boat raced. Like, we got absolutely boat raced. And it just showed that, like, if Harden was in that game instead of Simmons, I'm not saying we win, but I say it's a hell of a lot closer than losing by, like, 20-plus points. I think if Ben Simmons was born in 1981, we'd be talking about him as one of the best players ever. 100 percent that's the thing he's just in the wrong era he's in the wrong era of basketball but it's like it's self-imposed and that's by the way that's the issue with tobias harris from the outside perspective if you think about it you know when i play basketball i think to myself like the open three i'm supposed to make this so it goes through your head and it fucks with you but like the contested three you're not supposed to make that and then it doesn't fuck with you and you can just go to muscle memory and it's just like what happens with these guys tobias harris needs options when he gets the ball he he has to have options, and so if the if he knows he can't drive and he has to shoot, then he's gonna rely on his three too much, and like his three is is consistent sometimes. So obviously inconsistent is the definition of that. You know, it, he's never he's a good third third option though. I think that you can safely well, I mean, say he's a very good if you, if if Tobias Harris is your third option for scoring, then you're in a good place. But the problem is. That if Ben Simmons is not if if he's in a facilitation mode, then Tobias turns into the second option, and that's where you get, that's you start fair. to get a problem, you know. And I I could definitely see like you guys mentioned earlier if if Harden does come here and it's a Simmons for Harden deal, Tobias Harris could fit very nicely into that role that like a PJ Tucker fit for all those years in Houston. I could totally see that him really benefiting from. Harden opening the floor like that I just I I don't I I can't get it through my head but I just have such a hard time letting go of Ben Simmons and you know you guys are probably right like in the long term it probably would be the thing that can get us over the hump you need a guy like James Harden I mean we saw the closest thing we ever came was having Jimmy Butler because he he turned it on at points in that playoff run 
against the Raptors where like you knew he was taking the shot and you knew he was making it. Uh, we've never really ben had Simmons that in like, the Joel Embiid is like era. Philadelphia's favorite toy. You know, they got it they got mm-hmm. it four years ago and they're like super they were super excited to have it at the time and it was, you know, shiny and nice and they played with it all the time and then like eventually it's just like, Well, this is the same thing. This is the same thing. I was like, Okay, I'm getting kind of bored of this and it's not really improving or, or making my life any better but they don't want to give it up because they don't want anybody else to enjoy it you know that's just how philly works it's just like fuck you if you suck but fuck you if you leave <laughs> like, like it's, it's like it's the worst it's place fair. to be it's like you're screwed regardless if he's gone everyone's gonna hate him if he if he says anything about wanting to leave everyone's gonna hate him if they trade him if they trade him they're gonna hate the sixers and then they're probably gonna still fucking boot ben Simmons when he comes back like it's just gonna it's it's such a catch-22 for the kid so i mean we'll see I just I, Ben Simmons is just I'm I, I like the way he plays. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's it's explosive and it's it's high speed and all that stuff. But like he doesn't have another layer and he's not willing to make it. So what do you do? You know you just you kind of got you got to cut losses, especially if those losses means getting fucking James Harden. Like who you just have to you have to want him. The guy's just he's a scoring machine. That and that's my point. It just that gives them the most output to win. And people argue, yeah, but you're wrecking your future. But the future, I mean, I don't know what the future even looks like because if this is gonna be the same exact Ben Simmons and we're gonna just stagnate as a team that's gonna get to the second round of the playoffs and lose, or at best get to Eastern Conference Finals and lose. I just don't yeah, I don't see anything else like with him. It doesn't matter what coach they have doesn't matter what gm they have like it's just you have the same construct and you can put different pieces around it but simmons and and Embiid, you they're you can figure them out like i can fig you can figure out a game plan very easily to beat them in a, in a seven game season series and teams exactly. have done it consistently you know we've seen it year in and year out like one game in they'll fuck you up but seven consecutive games or four consecutive games They'll figure you out just like they figure out Giannis. It's the same. It's the same concept. Playoff basketball is different. You know, you have to have the ability to switch shit up, and they don't. They don't have that ability because they have two guys who do the same thing. One of them is unstoppable when he's in the zone, and honestly, he's kind of always in the zone. You just can't do anything about Joel Embiid. You have to, at this point, just allow him to get his. But Ben Simmons is very stoppable. So now you have to rely on someone else to get your buckets, and who's who is that person? So you know. Simmons is he's played out like that's all I got to say and and I'm not sitting here saying that Ben Simmons is bad he is a high level almost second team all NBA type star he's an amazing talent that we probably won't see for for quite some time but he's not the champion that you need in Philly he's just not the guy you know and it's it's a bad fit and it's been a bad fit and I think having someone else to fit that mold in Philadelphia is what you need right now so, I mean, we'll see what they do. Last thing, player spotlight of the week. Mike, you talked about him as your MVP candidate, and we got to go into him. It's not it's not fair for us to not talk about him. Nikola Jokic, he's leading the league as a seven-foot center in assists per game. Now, through three games, but he's averaging 14 assists per game. For his career, he's up over five and a half. His rebounds per game... 12 right now he's averaging 24 points come on bro Nikola, what the fuck you doing bro you're killing he's a, it he's a monster and the fact of the matter is is that like yeah the system was inevitably go down because of just games in the season 
But, I mean, this is not wet without the realm of possibility. I think he easily averaged 24, 11, and 8 this year. And, again, if the Nuggets deliver in regular season, as a lot of people expect them to, they can make a run, and they can, I think Nicole Jokic can win regular season MVP. It's very within the realm of possibility. And at 37-1, I think that is a really good gander at in terms of just value. I think that he presents a, a tremendous amount of value. And it's another suggested bet for the long term. It's easily the player of the week. Mark, what do you think about Jokic averaging right now 24, 14, and 12? It's ridiculous. And it's also ridiculous with Jamal Murray, who played six quarters of really bad basketball to start the season. Jamal Murray did not find any sort of rhythm until the second half of that second game that they played. So that's only going to add to the assist numbers once Jamal Murray finds the zone, which it looks like he kind of has turned a corner. So I I just, this team is, it was one of my favorite overs when we did the over-under episode. And I I was actually surprised by that opening game of the season where the Clippers kind of flipped the script on them. Or sorry, Christmas Day it was. Uh, Clippers flipped the script and won that. But then again, that's that's all vengeance from last season. They're going to come back pissed off. Paul Playoff P was like... God damn, I got to redeem myself for what I did in this series last year. But that's all good good and everything. But in my mind, the Nuggets are probably going to finish ahead of the Clippers in the standings. I really believe that. And that's all because of Nikola Jokic. And if Jamal Murray, the key is, what do we think Jamal Murray is? Do we think he is that bubble player? Or was that just somebody catching fire really quickly and he's a notch below he's, he's that? I think been, it's somewhere. He's always been that guy. It's somewhere in the yeah, middle. Yeah, he's just he's like I've always seen Jamal Murray as like their next guy, like scoring guy. But like he 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 yeah. proved it in the bubble. Like he just he showed out because the only news about Jamal Murray was his fucking girlfriend at that point. He probably wanted to get eyes off of that for a little <laughs> bit, and so he just averaged. He just like put up fifty points a game for like two consecutive games. And uh, and just balled out like he's he's always got the talent he's always had the talent it's just is he going to be able to keep it at that level right now he's at about eighteen a game which is good you know uh, but the Jokic is kind of running running the show right now in Denver uh, Michael Porter Jr. is at sixteen a game so like that's something to look out for as well on, a f- in 20, on efficient shooting minutes, too six uh sixteen a game in twenty six minutes for uh, Michael Porter Jr. And yeah, like you said, Jokic is averaging 62 from the field, uh, 43 from uh, from three, and like 74 from free throw, which isn't terrible. Free throws, I mean, you could get that up a little bit if you're a big guy who shoots, but like he's at he's at 62 and 42 from the field. You, you got to give it to him. He knows how to be efficient. He knows when to when to pick his shots. His shots come relatively organically too, which is nice to see. And, uh, and he's using his size better now than he used to, which I think is very big because he used to be pretty pretty weak going for the Dirk moves a lot. Now my question for you guys, though, would be, because we talk a lot about defense here, and this was this was a team that, uh, like, at points last season and in, in 2019, it was well known for being, like, one of the best defensive units but I like I, I watched that entire Clippers game on uh, the night of Christmas, and it was it it seemed like at points they lacked being able to stop 
the number one option for the opposing team. And like, like literally Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were getting anything they wanted in that game. And granted it's a, it's one game in a playoff series. Things will change, but I just question like whether they have, like who is going to be that one guy that they put on to face the best scorer on the opposing team? Because when it comes to crunch time in the Western conference and you're facing the Lakers, you're facing maybe even the Mavericks in a first round matchup, you're facing the Clippers is it going to be a team defensive effort or is there going to be that one guy that steps up and is going to able able to lock up a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George? I think they're one guy that's going to be their main defender as a guard would be Gary Harris. Gary and then Harris, eventually yeah, when he comes back, Jermichael Green is a sneaky defender as well. I just think that mm-hmm. losing Jeremy Grant is a huge hit for them defensively and that's going to come to bite yeah. them in the playoffs. But as of right now, I think those two guys, once they get healthy and once they play more, I mean, Gary Harris is fine. But I'm saying when Jermichael Green gets healthy, I think those two guys will be the main defenders. Also, be on the lookout for Will Barton. He generates a lot of steals, too. I was just going to say, Will Barton is somebody that I think has been underappreciated in this league for a while. And I, I think they missed him at times last season, it was. But he, he could be key. Like, that's somebody that you need the combination of Will Barton and Gary Harris because you're not going to get the same scoring numbers out of them that they once did before the emergence of Jokic and Jamal Murray. But they need to be able – I think that Clippers series, it's bound to happen in the playoffs again. It's going to always be one of the best series of the playoffs year after year. Yeah, and it's also – it has to be said that, you know, they that's what's losing them games right now. They're 25th in, in defensive defensive uh, efficiency right now, so that's like kind of where the losses are coming from. And you're right. Like, there's not really a set guy. I think Gary Harris is usually that guy, but – you know he's not he's not a guarantee to lock down your best guy so they don't have that right now and that's that's going to be an issue especially because Jokic if if there is a flaw in his game it's always going to be on the in- interior defense which by the way this year he's playing much better from what i've seen but he's still not going to be as consistent as you might want from your number 1 guy Jamal Murray needs to step that part up because it should be him that's that's my thing. Like it should be Jamal Murray. He should be the guy who locks you down and plays that top level defense or offense. It's it's a learned trait. It's not something that you're born with. You have to figure out, you know, the way to stay in front of people and that's that's what what it's going to take. So we'll see if they're able to to do it. So Nuggets interesting position. They are 1 and 2 right now, but they have their losses are against, you know, relatively good teams. I would say the Kings are a good team and the Clippers are definitely a good team. So we'll see what how it ends with them. Last up, we have talked about the OKC Thunder so many times on this podcast. We love the Thunder. I don't know what it is about the Thunder. Maybe it is Sam Presti. Maybe it's just the team. Maybe it's like the fact that they always seem to be an organic grown team when they win, especially. Right now, they're 1-1. One one. SGA's not shooting too well. He's still averaging his numbers. He's getting 23 a game, about 24 a game. He's got eight assists a game. He's getting about four and a half turnovers a game. He's shooting 42% and 15% from the three. The big name, of course, is Lou Dortz. He's he's up over 20 points a game, and he's playing phenomenal defense right now. Holy shit. That's their you know defensive guy, which is great. They have issues. They have a lot of issues. They're probably not going to win a whole lot of games this season. But once again, they're going to be better than I think we thought. And how many, how many picks do they have? until 27 you said 18 picks until 2027 mike 
Correct. 18 first-round picks up until 2027. So let's do a timeline here because the OKC Thunder started in the 2008 season, right? The 2008 season when they drafted Russell Westbrook. He was the first draft pick for the OKC Thunder. The year before, of course, they drafted Kevin Durant. Sam Presley was here for the entire time. This man literally drafted so well that he fucked his entire team up after, of course, a good run. But he, he drafted too well, essentially. Back to back to back, we saw Kevin Durant, who got drafted by the Sonics and then switched over. Russell Westbrook going there. And then the next year, they had James Harden. And so we see this team starting to become composed of top-level scorers, top-level guys in general. They get Serge Ibaka. They have their lockdown guy, Tabo Cephalosha, and they become one of the most the most perennial playoff teams that we've that we saw in the early 2010s. Now, you guys obviously remember those Thunder teams. What was your impression when they were at their apex? What was your impression of the Thunder? Did you consider them to be viable options to genuinely win a final? So I'll go first. I absolutely did. I thought this team was going to be a dynasty down the road. And what's a shame is that people like rarely talk about it. Like everyone always remembers how bad the James Harden trade was for Kevin Martin to the Rockets and how much of a mess that was. But what's the most depressing thing about that is that if they went over to luxury tax to retain Harden, like he wanted the contract of, that he wanted to retain James Harden, if they went over just a bit of the luxury tax, literally the next year when the cap space exploded, they would have actually gotten reimbursed for the tax they would have to pay in the luxury tax. And like keeping the big three together on all max contracts for the next three to five years would have been extremely viable, which is absolutely insane. And it just goes to show you that you could be a great GM, you could be a great coach, you could have a great roster, but it's all about timing and if it's meant to be it's meant to be and that's how some of these dynasties are just kind of defined is by either terrific timing or some of the best what-ifs in modern sports history are defined by timing as well and i think that's a thing that people need to look at and instead of criticizing sam presti for like trading james Harden away for a half a bag of chips I think what people need to realize is that it was just awful timing and they couldn't tell the future. And it's a shame. It's a shame of how they where they once were as a team that was a future dynasty ended up being without an NBA Finals championship over the last decade. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because it a lot of it I know it's we're talking different sports here, but a lot of it's what we were talking about pre show. We were just having a basic conversation about football. And it, the same thing happens in the NFL where it's building that window that you have with a star quarterback before they get their first big contract. It's all timing. And you can only afford to pay all those players on your team while you have that rookie contract still going before you give them that max deal. It's exactly what happened with our Philadelphia Eagles. Even though Carson Wentz wasn't the quarterback at that time, you were able to build a Super Bowl winning roster because he was under that rookie contract still. But as far as the Thunder go, too, and once again talking about timing, that 2012 NBA Finals, If Nick, you asked whether I think that that was a team that could have won an NBA Finals. Absolutely. That team was so, so good and just met in the NBA Finals LeBron James in his prime. When Kevin Durant wasn't 
Kevin, the combination of Durant, Westbrook, and Harden, as great as they all were, you weren't talking about the peak performance of all three of those players. Harden really didn't reach that until he went to Houston, clearly. And I would argue that Kevin Durant really didn't even hit it until, what was it, the next year or two that he won, went, I forget what year he won MVP. But I just think you were facing, it was bound the big three were going to get their ring at some point, And that's what happened in 2012. But was that Thunder team capable of winning a ring? Clearly. And I think Sam Presti deserves all of that credit for building that. Although timing, like Mike said, is what caused their ultimate demise. It was inevitable. I, I, I personally mm-hmm. am of the belief that regardless of what they paid James Harden, he still wanted his own team. I, I mean, just look at his mentality now. That's still that was still there. Sure. Like, of course, he was okay being a six man. Like, he was building at that time. But now, but he knows what his talent is. He doesn't want to be a six man. He wants to be. He wants to be a starter. He wants to be the guy. And he's always. He, that's always going to be the mindset of somebody like that, especially somebody who is very content with a forty percent usage rate, averaging thirty six a game, and just like dribbling with everybody else watching. That's not a six man mentality, you know. So like that was always going to be the case, right? It was still possible until Kevin pulled the snakest move of all time. You know, we saw them being like a playoff contender. We didn't consider James Harden to be like the end of the dynasty of the Thunder, right? We knew that it was always going to be KD and Russ and Serge and those guys. And then Steven Adams comes into the equation and we have him and he's playing very good basketball and and he becomes very consistent. And we know that the the Thunder are genuinely capable of getting to a finals, and we think that, but then the the rise of the Warriors happens, right? The Western Conference dynasty starts to to take place. And that's another thing that takes that happens. If you are if your career takes place in the middle of a dynasty, you're fucked. There's nothing else you can do except what Kevin Durant did. All you can do is say, You beat us, I'm gonna go and play for you. Right? Instead of trying to play against them. So we all know that's that was that was not okay from KD. But when he left, obviously that was the end of the Thunder. I think that they hung on to Russ for too long, personally. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but after Kevin left, the Thunder still played relatively well. They were like a six seven seed. What were your opinions of the Thunder in that like twenty fifteen to like twenty eighteen range? I thought they were just a, a, just another playoff team. I think they were just stuck in limbo because they had a max contract in Russell Westbrook, a contract that he signed a year prior to Kevin Durant leaving, and then re-signed another extension when that extension was like about to go de- like about to end for that max deal that we talked about that was like forty something million dollars a year. But I think they're just stuck in limbo, and I think they retooled relatively well. I mean, they added well. I mean, on paper, they added three All Stars. I mean, think about that. They had, they had uh, Oladipo. They had Paul George. They had uh, Melo, who I know wasn't an All Star at the time, but still was just coming off his years at the Knicks. At, at the time, you're thinking like, "Wow, this team can actually like make some noise as a Western Conference, you know, division rival." I mean, the Warriors were still at large at that time. I mean, it was just an awful timing for. It was just an awful tan point because they ran into so many good teams. They ran into the Spurs, who were a thorn in their side. After the Spurs kind of dissipated, then the Warriors came into being the thorn in their side. So just overall, looking at both sides of the coin, I think the thumb did the best 
thing possible for them by retooling as well as they could have done. I just think that I wish that Russell and PG stood together longer than they did because I think that OKC could have added in one more good player and they could have actually been something serious. Well, that's what that's what I was going to say too is Paul George really fucked them. Cuz if you're asking for how for why Russell Westbrook like should they have moved on from him earlier? They I think they made the right choice because like you just said, they added the pieces to make Russell Westbrook still successful. The issue is, and do you guys all remember the the fucking party they threw with uh, Paul George, like, and Russell Westbrook right. posing with the cigars after he re-signed the extension? And you're like, oh, he's gonna spend four more years in OKC. Like, that's a team they could have built something there. They could have built something similar to what the Clippers have now. But then, obviously, everything goes haywire that offseason when. Kawhi goes to the Clippers, the Clippers go calling, and the big trade goes down. So that's the situation where, do you, like, what do you guys think? Do you think Sam Presti legitimately thought that Paul George was staying there and that they were going to build a championship team out of Russell Westbrook and, and Paul signed, George he he and the signed, other guys we mentioned? He had signed him. So, yeah, definitely. He, he thought that that was, exactly. was going to be their nucleus. Steven Adams was definitely a key piece of that puzzle as well, in my, in my opinion. You know, so if you have those guys, those those two guys together, you have a chance. Especially with the with the uh, the removal of those of those dynasty dynastic Warriors teams. You know, it was over. It was it was essentially over. KD's gone. Uh, you know, Steph mm-hmm. Steph unfortunately gets hurt. Clay got hurt. Now they're, it looks like they're going to be a basement dweller again this year. And then there's so it's wide open. And so they think like, oh, if we had Paul George now, you definitely have a chance. But they didn't keep Paul George. You know, they they he they lost him, and then they got rid of Russ. And now all of a sudden they have this SGA. They have SGA. They had Chris Paul last year, who kept them definitely relevant. You know, throughout the the throughout the playoffs. But this year they don't have that. And so what does Sam Presti do? I mean, again, the guy the guy is literally must be the top a top two GM in the league, right? He has made mm-hmm. the right moves at every step. He has been blockaded by the rest of the league and what they have done. You know, unfortunately, I think the market honestly has a lot to do with it too. Like who really wants to go to OKC to be completely frank with you, unless there's a, unless there's a draw, it's kind of tough. So now he, and I feel like he knows that because right now there's no draw to OKC. He doesn't have any reason for anybody to sign there. So he's like, we're rebuilding and we're rebuilding around SGA and what does he do? He goes out and gets 18 first-round draft picks with a team that is still not that bad. It's not good. But it's not that bad. But think about all their young guys that are good, like Lou Dort and Shea. Like they're going to be there for a while. And the crazy part is that they nail a couple of these drafts down the line. They can build a, a potential monster of a team. They 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 draft these guys. They draft some key contributors, and then all of a sudden they sign one free agent and a max free agent, and they're in really good shape. So I think there's a lot to look forward to the OKC Thunder, and their outlook now is, is probably as bright as it's been over the last six years, which is nuts to say, but it's it's just how it is, and they have a lot to look forward to over these next years. Sam Presti's good at drafting, and they'll be able to squeeze talent out of their guys. I like what their team is doing. It's just a shame that they could have been so much more than they what they what they are now.
I mean, they could have, yeah, they could have right now. But I think, I think the second they got the the rumbling said it wasn't going to happen, he just immediately went into rebuild mode, which is something that he hadn't had to do since uh, since probably the the Sonics days. Since they got rid of, since Ray left for the Celtics, he hasn't had to really think about a rebuild. And he, he exactly got, literally he got literally handed Kevin Durant on a platter because everybody was still obsessed with the big man back in 2007. And Greg Oden was like this huge prospect. Everybody wanted him because he's like Bill Russell reincarnated. And uh, and Kevin Durant, who like literally has the grace of a swan, glides on the fucking court, scores every way imaginable, even in college, falls to number two somehow, and they, got, they get that, you know? It's just they, they've gotten very fortunate with their drafts in the past years, but it's also not that necessarily fortunate because it also has to do with Sam Presti making the right moves around those drafts. So we'll see what happens with that. I think that the uh, the Thunder are not a good team this year. I'm not going to say that they are, but I think that they're going to be better than we thought they were, first of all. And second of all, I think that in the next five to six years, we're going to see them reemerge with some of these top talents you know, from their draft picks and then from the draft picks that they get don't forget like they suck so like they're still going to keep their picks as well so that means if they are high in the lottery they could be looking at like a Jalen Green Kaminga those kind of guys who are coming up next year any final thoughts on on uh on this week in basketball any final thoughts from either one of you guys uh nothing really from my end I just love talking history I love talking current NBA as well and I'm excited just to see how the season unfolds I think we're gonna have one of the more competitive NBA seasons we had in a very long time and this year, hopefully, by the time we get back to NBA playoff time, fans are going to be allowed back in the stadiums. And then we're going to really have a true tasting and a true viewership of NBA playoffs as we've gotten to know for years before. Yeah, all I got to say is um, John Morant, I really hope he's all right. And it, this injury doesn't derail anything. But, um, man, dude, the youth in this NBA right now, I mean – we didn't even touch on LaMelo Ball at all, but he's, he's shown some nice flashes so far, and as well as Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman. I've, I'm really impressed by the youth in this league right now. The past three draft classes are just showing that we have NBA talent in, any, in college basketball at every moment, and playing right now, it makes college basketball even more fun to watch right this second because you know these guys are going to come perform next year. I just think the young talent in this league, it's always great, but right now... Is a special time to be watching NBA basketball. I also believe that the NBA is the best at developing young talent in any of the major sports in North America, at least. Uh, and uh, it's been like that for a while, and that's why we keep seeing this happening. So, and the, the coolest thing about the draft too is that, like, we we see one, we see we, we watch it, right? We know all of these picks. We all we don't think about certain names. We see them. And then all of a sudden, that's the only name we recognize from that draft because ten years down the road, that guy's been an All Star seven straight times. Especially if it's like the twentieth pick or something like that, you never know. You absolutely never know, and that's that's going to be what we continue to see. And uh, for anybody who uh, who hasn't yet, like I always say, you know, if you like what you heard, this is actually a good episode. I liked it. Yeah, if you liked if you liked it too, you know, leave that five star review. Let us know what you think, and uh, we'll be back next week. And for everybody who's out there, if you're not ugly, stay beautiful. Happy New Year's for everybody. Stay safe. Stay warm if you're up north. It's fucking cold here. And uh, see ya.